So today, we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. So if you're with me or if you're online, uh, stand up as we read the Word of God together. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but to go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate places and pray. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you desire to meet with us. That you have shown time and time again through your scriptures that you desire to meet with your people. And not only that, you desire to meet their needs, to meet our needs. God, I thank you that in meeting our physical needs, you desire to address our spiritual needs as well that you desire to bring life and health and wholeness and righteousness to us, to take us from being sinful and, and dead in our trespasses, as was mentioned before, to being alive together with Christ. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come to impress upon our hearts what it, what it is to encounter the Son of God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would mediate by your presence an encounter with the Son of God right now. That as we engage with your word, that Jesus, you might be present in it, and through it, you might change us and transform us, heal us, and make us whole. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So we see this situation here where Jesus is, he's beginning his ministry, and, and as a side note, this is one of those passages that you can look in, in, I believe, Matthew and in Mark and see parallels. And so we're going to look at one parallel to this, but each, each gospel writer recounts various aspects of the same story here. And, and we see that while Jesus was in one of the cities, somewhere in Galilee, there came a man full of leprosy. So we, we're introduced to this unnamed individual who's really only known because he has what's called leprosy. And not only does he have leprosy, it says that he, he is full of leprosy. Whatever this disease is, it has taken the full co course in his body. Now, if you read the Bible, you often will read a footnote, if, if you see the word leprosy, that to say that it doesn't necessarily refer to just the, the present day modern word or description of leprosy, the disease, otherwise known as Hansen's disease. Um, it, it was described, Hansen's disease was described in the, in the 19th century with some very specific symptoms, but the Bible gives us in, in Le Leviticus, I know that you guys are all familiar with Leviticus, you've read it and memorized it, but in Leviticus, as you'll recall, in verses, or chapters 13 and 14, uh, God gives instruction on how to handle, how to really diagnose an individual with uh, what was called leprosy, but really any sort of skin ailment. So whether there were sores or discoloration or pain or rashes, what would you do? What was 
what, was, what were the priests to do in order to diagnose it and then treat it or, or deal with it. And so we see this, this young man or this individual who has leprosy. But because of that, not only is he sick, he's considered unclean. And, and as Leviticus lays out, if we were to go to there, we would see that, that anyone with leprosy is required to, to stay outside the camp and, and do a number of other things. Let's go there right now. In, in Leviticus chapter um, 13, verses 46 and 47, it says this. Sorry, uh, Leviticus 13, 30, 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip, so he's effectively wearing a face mask, and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean and he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So that's the situation that this man finds himself in. He is outside the proverbial camp. He needs to be outside of the society, outside of the, you know, the, the, suburb, the suburbs and the cities, away from people because this is a contagious disease. This is the way that they were able to control this disease. And so he, ha- he is leprous, he's alone, he's, he's lonely. Not only that, he's required to as he, he interacts with people, he's required to yell out, unclean, unclean. Not only is he unclean and, and an outcast, he has to just declare it over his life all the time. Whenever he interacts with someone, he's full of leprosy. Not only that, uh, it's, it's likely that his body is, is damaged. Again, if we talk about leprosy in the modern day, he, he, it, it involves damage to the nerves such that he might have touched something hot or, or excessively cold or cut himself and not been aware of it. And because of that, not only does he have these sores, but he has the, the results of the, the nerve damage that, that leaves his body further marred and, and bruised and, and burnt and, and cut. He's in, he's in a tough spot. And this man comes to Jesus. It says in chapter tw- or verse 12 of, of chapter 5, when he was in one of the cities... Jesus, that there came a man full of leprosy. So Jesus is in the city ministering, and, and, and the leper maybe hears about it. He knows a little bit about the, the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he goes to find Jesus. He goes after Jesus. And, and if we, again, if we imagine the situation as he's going, if he's being faithful to the commands of Leviticus, he's yelling out, unclean, unclean. So Jesus is ministering, he's preaching and teaching, and, and people are, are, are gathering around him, and all of a sudden, the, the crowd parts, and you hear, unclean, unclean, and, and it gets louder and louder, unclean, unclean, and, and you see this man hobbling, maybe he, he's damaged, we don't know, but, but you can use your imagination, and he, he's approaching, and people are, are parting and trying to get away and, and not get close and catch this, and he, he approaches Jesus because he knows that he needs something that he cannot find in himself. Now, what's amazing about the providence of God in, in all of the Old Testament especially is that he gives us these, these physical pictures of spiritual realities. And we, we understand that when we think about things like the, the Exodus, crossing the Red Sea. These are pictures of going from slavery, from um, um, captivity into freedom. And leprosy was one of these pictures that, that often gave us the clearest illustration of our sin nature. 
You know, it's been quoted several times in the service today, and it's worth repeating and, and even memorizing that, that Jesus, or rather, that Paul describes our situation in this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work at the sons of dis, uh, at work in the sons of disobedience. Imagine the leprous man walking and consider our, our situation of being dead in our sins and trespasses as, he's, as Paul says in Ephesians 2 and yet we're still walking it out. We're walking dead people, zombies and you might imagine a very similar gait and walk of just someone walking in a dead manner. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so this man and his life, it represents something about our spiritual state of being sinfully bound. There's no, there's no part of my life, there's no part of your life that isn't touched by sin. Now that is not to say that, that we are as necessarily sinful as we possibly could be, but it means that there's no part of my life that I can point to and say that hasn't been affected by my sin. In the same way that this leprous man, every aspect of his life was augmented, was adjusted, was shifted because of his disease, sin adjusts and shifts and affects every aspect of my life and your life. And so as we think of Jesus seeing this leprous man, we can put ourselves in his position and imagine ourselves coming to him. The man comes to Jesus. He knows that he needs something that he can't find in himself. And if we are honest about what our sin demands of us, we have to recognize that there's nothing that you and I can do to address the issue of sin in our lives, the disease of sin in our life. If we could do that, if there was something that I could do, if there was a book that I could read on, on Christian productivity that would say, and this is how you uh, stop sinning, we would have done it. If there was a way for you and I to heal ourselves into cleanliness that will allow us to approach God with confidence, then we would have done it. But we can't. And like, like the leper, we have to approach someone else who, who can save us because we cannot save ourselves. So we see that the leper comes to Jesus, but not only does he come, he humbles himself before Jesus. It says in verse 12, when he was in one of the studies, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. He fell on his face and begged him. There was no presumption in this man. There was no uh, pride. He didn't come trying to, you know, I'm gonna wear my best uh, cloak and, and try to hide what's going on in my life. Uh, I'm, I'm just gonna pull Jesus to the side and we're gonna have a conversation. This wasn't an invitation for, for Jesus to, to be partners with him in some sort of um, motivational life coaching setting. You know, how can you help me live a better life now? No, he fell on his face. And not only that, again, if we imagine the situation, he was walking in this humiliating, unclean, unclean, calling out the state of his life, unclean, calling out his situation, calling out the fact that his life was broken and that he was incapable of changing and affecting it. He knew there was nothing that he could do. He couldn't barter with Christ. He, he didn't have, he wasn't coming and saying, you know, I, I have this, Jesus, if you'll save me, I'll give you this land, I'll give you this money, I'll give you this property. He fell on his face. There was nothing he could pr provide in, in, in repayment and he was begging for what? For grace. I mean, if, if there's not a clearer picture of unmerited favor being requested, I don't know, I don't know what to do. 
He's begging for what he does not deserve. He's begging for what he cannot provide for himself. He's begging for unmerited favor for grace. And when we encounter Christ, our sin prevents us from being able to approach him with our heads up. If you come to Jesus with your head up, you haven't come right. If you come to Jesus with your head up, you haven't understood the the issue at hand. You haven't fully understood what it means to be a sinner. When you come to Jesus, if you come with presumption and and, and with, with some sense of pride before him, you haven't rightly dealt with the, the horrors of your sin, the, the depth of the depravity of your sin, the, the cost of your sin. And we don't often like to talk about this. Nobody likes to feel bad or to remember that we are sinners, but there's a reality to it. And, and we need to, to at times reckon with the reality of our, the sinfulness of our sin because it is so sinful that it required that Jesus would come and die on a cross. And sometimes we're like, yes, Jesus died on a cross, I've got a cross. But we forget that that means that he, he, his life was expired, that he was nailed with real iron nails to wood and then hung because of my sinfulness, my sinfulness. We have nothing to offer, we have nothing to trade, and we are in complete need like this man. But thankfully, not only did this, this leper know his own need, he had faith in Christ. See, if, if the story ended with knowing his need, knowing his own inability, it would be a pretty depressing story. And for many people, that's life. And, and when we talk about extending the kingdom, one of the things we need to understand is that when people live knowing their need, knowing their own inability, but not knowing anything about coming to Christ, it's, it's a terrible life and it's a life that demands that we do something about it, but we'll get there in a couple weeks. He knew his need and he had faith in Christ. It says that he fell to his, fell to his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. What he didn't say, interestingly enough, is that if you will, you can heal me. If you will, you can heal. Now, it's true, he's seeking healing. But the healing was, uh, his sickness wasn't the main issue. The, The issue was that the sickness prevented him from being among the people of God and in the temple of God and in the presence of God. His sickness prevented him from a a deeper relationship with God. The the healing was not the issue. And whenever we look at the miracles of God, they're amazing in their own right, but but again, this man would become sick and eventually die again. But what was at, at the core was this need to be reconciled to God, to be made clean. Being made clean is, is one of those pictures of, of restoration, of salvation that the Bible gives us. Ezekiel talks about clean, being cleansed. It's not just being made right. You know, oftentimes when we think about, about salvation, we think about, and rightly so, we think about being made right before God, being justified before God, and that's an aspect of it. But there's a, there's a cleaning, there's a cleansing that God wants to do. There's a washing that God wants to do of the residue of sin and, and corruption that comes as a result of sin. So he says, if you will, you can make me clean. He believed that Jesus could not only heal him, but heal him to such a degree that he could become clean. 
that Jesus could take away his filthiness, he could take away his ritual unacceptability, could remove his ostracism, could take him from being outside the camp to being a member, a, a, a participant of the camp, a participant in the people of God. He could make him clean. He could restore him to his people and restore his access to the presence of God. When, when you and I approach God, we have to approach him first and foremost, addressing our deepest issue. If you come to God to fix problem A, B, and C without addressing your main issue, you're not really interested in the relationship with God and your other issues become your idols. If you come to God because you just need your finances fixed and, and that's, the, that's the length and, uh, of your relationship with him, then, then you're using God to get something else. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't allow us to come to him. I mean, when my kids come to me and, and ask for stuff, ask for toys, I don't, I don't say, well, what about my relationship with you? You know, he's, he's patient with us, but we have to understand that, that there's a deeper need that we have than just, than just being healed, than just having our physical needs met. Those physical needs, they point to a deeper need in our soul. You know, it's weird to say, but the fact that you can't manufacture your own wealth apart from God's providence points to the fact that you and I are dependent on someone else. The fact that you can't make yourself physically healed apart from God, it points to the fact that you are dependent on him for your life. The fact that you can't necessarily address the other people around you and fix the relational issues in your own life apart from their participation and, and, and something else happening points to the fact that you and I are not sovereign over the world. And all of these things, all of these needs are intended to point us to the fact that we need God. Jesus, or the leper understood that he needed God to he, uh, heal him and cleanse him. And so... If we imagine the situation again, the, the crowd's been parted, this, this unpleasantly looking gentleman has come up to Jesus, he, he's put his head down, he, he doesn't even wanna look at Jesus in the face because he understands how shameful he is. He understands that if anyone touches them, they become ritually unclean and they have to go through some processes to become clean. He, he recognizes after probably years of having never been touched, never been um, uh, uh, cared for in an, in a, in an, affectionate, in an affectionate way, he understands and, and almost automatically just kind of falls down before he gets near enough to touch Jesus. And he's saying, you know, if you will, you can, you can cleanse me. And there's tension. You can almost hear it as everyone hushes to see what Jesus is gonna do. You know, is he gonna tell this guy to go out of the camp? Is he gonna walk away, step away from him? What is Jesus going to do? Verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You know, it's interesting. Jesus did not have to touch this man. He could have said, be healed. If God can say, let there be light and boom, there's light. Let there be a moon and stars. And, you know, Jesus can probably say, be healed. But in, in the presence of these people who are waiting to see, 
Some of them are waiting kind of in, in a, an unpleasant kind of joy in, in this guy's plight. Some of them fearful of, of, of catching it themselves. All of them kind of like having that, that emoji face with the, your teeth out. They're waiting to see, and, and Jesus doesn't just talk to him. It says he stretches out, you know, Luke says he stretched, he didn't just touch him, he stretches out his hand. Maybe he, he, he kneels down, and he puts his hand on this guy and touches him. And it's not this sort of like, be healed, you know. I touch you with one little finger. No, the language there, it's of a firm grasp, Maybe he, he leans down and, and he touches this man's shoulder, grabs his shoulder. And you can, you can imagine the, the emotion that's welling up in this man. As, as not only is he's being healed, but, but someone is touching him. Someone is accepting him. Someone is receiving him. Someone is overcoming the, the barrier that's been placed in his life. Someone is expressing love. And, and it says in... In Mark chapter 1, in Mark's account of this uh, event, in verse 41, it says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Moved with pity, moved with compassion. Jesus looks at this man and and his heart breaks. And and he, he said, you almost get the sense that he says, I have to touch this guy. I have to touch him. I have to give him a sense of my love. And, and sometimes when you and I approach God and, or when, when, when you see others approach God, there, there's a, a legitimate fearfulness and there's this reticence and reluctance and, and kind of shying away because God is rightly so a judge. But, but Jesus is compassionate. We talked about that, I believe, last week, that Jesus is a compassionate God. He's, he's a God who's moved by pity. God loves us. He is motivated by love. And Jesus here is motivated by love. And so Jesus moves. No, no reservation, no hesitation. It's, it's pure action motivated by compassion. And it says that immediately the leprosy left him. Of course, of course, Jesus is able to heal. Of course, Jesus is able to heal. That's, that's not the surprising part of this, but Jesus goes on in, in, in verse 14 and he says, I, he charges him, don't go tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded. In Leviticus, uh, Moses was given commands and gave commands to the Israelites about how to confirm that someone had been healed and the, the offering to God that ought to be given as a, as a thankfulness offering and, and a way of showing the people that, that this is legitimate and this person is healed and they can be in the camp. Immediately he's healed and immediately Jesus gives him instruction. Go and do the things you need to do to show people that you are part of the, part of the people of God. That you no longer need to be in the camp or out of the camp. You can be in the camp. That you can come into the presence of God's people. That you can be around these people. You can begin to rebuild relationships. You can be touched. The leopard is, leopard. <laughs> it had to happen once. Uh, the leper is changed in a moment. He's healed in a moment, and he's made clean because of the love of Christ. And because of that vertical 
that vertical restoration, he's now able to have a, a horizontal restoration. And some of you here, you, you, you lack this horizontal restoration because you haven't first addressed this one. And so often we see God connecting the dots between how we treat other people and how we're related to him. You know, forgive us this day, this day our, our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. In the same way that, that I forgive the people around me, God, forgive me. There's, there's a connection. There's, a, there's this deep connection between how we relate to one another and how we relate to, relate to God. And, and we see here that, that because God has touched this man's life, he can now relate to people differently. Because he is clean before God, he can now relate to these people in a manner that is clean, acceptable, righteous. What are we about as a church? We are about people encountering Christ. And, and what that means for some of you is that this is your opportunity today to encounter Christ, to come and recognize that you and I, we are sinners. I am in the same boat as you. We are sinners. As Ephesians says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we are incapable of, of healing ourselves like the leper. We are unable to do anything about it. And yet, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us makes us alive in Christ. By grace we are saved. By grace as we come to him humbly, as we put our head down, as we recognize our sin and say, I know that you can heal me. I know that you can save me. I know that you can forgive me. And we hear him say on the cross, I will be clean. For some of us, we've experienced that and we need to we need to personify the kind of presence of God in the lives of those around us. People around us who, who, who seem unclean, whose lives don't communicate a kind of relationship with God and, and rather than shying away from those people, God is calling us to be Christ to them, to love them, to be compassionate towards them, to be willing to, to put out a, a loving, compassionate hand and, and and be caring toward them maybe in ways that they haven't experienced in a long time. But whoever you are and wherever you are, I would encourage you to come to Jesus, to come humbly and come boldly trusting that we receive grace from our God because he is compassionate. He has pity on us. He loves us. Let's pray.